Thank you so much, uh, Rav David, for the very kind words. Uh, Karolinski, the Rosh Shiva, and all the people who are so involved in this really amazing and wonderful institution of Chappelle's. Um, I didn't have the sort of learning in Chappelle's, but many of my friends did. Uh, Rabbi Andrew Shaw, who runs our... I think Rabbi Andrew don't you have for a bit? Yeah, Rabbi Andrew... For a bit. For a lot. <laughs> for five years. <laughs> Rabbi Andrew, who runs our Mizrahi activities in the, in the UK, and is doing unbelievable work. And so many friends and colleagues and told me they have studying this amazing institution. And it's uh, Rabbi Yonatan Cohen. Did you see here, Rabbi Yonatan? I put my glasses. Yeah, yeah. Now, I saw him in Dublin this morning. I live in Yad Binyamin. And uh, I meant to tell him that I'm coming in. I just want to say hello to him. So, um, so Shkoyah, for all the amazing work that, uh, that uh, the Rabbonim, the Rosh Shiva are doing in this uh, wonderful institution and really giving an opportunity to people to study um, college age, post-college age, uh, serious learning, the kalim to learn and the ability to be Tambirei Chachamim and Bnei Torah and learn in a serious way is really very special and it's always been the very unique uh, role that uh, the yeshiva has played. And additionally, also in being able to attract uh, people from across the board, a, a certain ideological and ashkafic diversity, which is not so easy always to find. People tend to be more monolithic and very specific in their ideology and having the ability to be... There's a lovely Hebrew word that I love. I've learned it since I've been back in Israel. It's called Rabbi Ablon. We also uh, go back a while. Um, there's a lovely Hebrew word called Michil. Lahachil, such a lovely word. It, 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 there's no word for it in English. Something which has got place for everybody. You don't have to contain, to accommodate. There isn't a good word for it in English. In Hebrew, there's a word lahachil. To be a person who's mechil, per, uh, an institution which is mechil, it's got place for everybody. It's mechil, such a beautiful word. Yecholet hachala. And I think that's what uh, this wonderful institution is. And it should Thank you very much for inviting me. And it's a tremendous chus to speak. Now, often, the reason why I've started trying to record what I'm saying is I always I find that most of the time I'm speaking, it's on Shabbat, and I can't record it. And, um, and people often say, but have you, have you got a recording of that? And I say, I actually don't. So, uh, so I thought to myself while you were talking, you know, it's, it, if you feel it's important for me to talk in leadership, maybe it is, maybe I should record it. But thank you for, uh, for that. What's the time frame I should finish by? Ten? What? Ten, ten. Ten, ten, ten. ten, ten Okay, uh, you know the joke, by the way, about rabbis and watches. Do you know the joke? You know the joke? I'll tell you the joke about rab- uh, ra- <coughs> rabbis and watches. Inquire, I take off my watch. So there was once a person from the, you know, from the Far East who came to, uh, he was doing business with a, a Jewish colleague of his, and he was with him for Shabbat. And he said, uh, you know, he was from China, could I take you perhaps to... The synagogue, you'll see how we praise it. Yes, I'm very interested. I'm very interested in multiculturalism. I'll come with you, no problem. So he said, but do you mind if I ask questions? I, li- I like to learn and I like to know. No problem. So he said, um, they're going to davening in the morning and Shabbat and everyone's putting on their talas. And he said, uh, what do they do? What does that mean? It means they're putting on what's called a prayer shawl. It allows us to have certain focus in prayer. The next minute, uh, the chazan goes up, the baltfila. What does that mean? No, no, we always have a, we call it a baltfila, a person who re- leads the davening. The next minute, people are putting their hands over their eyes. What does that mean? This is the, it's the, uh, it's a very introspective prayer called the Shema. All of a sudden, it goes silent. What does it mean? He says to him, afterwards, he says, it means we, uh, it means we, um, it's, a, it's a silent prayer. We stand like angels and we connect to, to God. 
the next minute they're opening up the ark. What does that mean? Oh, that's the ark of the covenant, reminding us of the ark. And somebody holds the Torah. What does that mean? Oh, that's actually the, the Torah of Moses. We're going to read from the Torah. Then they lift it up and everyone goes like this. He says, what does that mean? He says, nobody knows what that means. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the joke. That's, that's the joke within the joke. That's the joke within the joke. They're mad. We're still trying to work out. Anyway, but... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, because there's nothing else you point at with this. Now, you don't walk around pointing at things with this. But. So, he says to him, what does that mean? He said, no one knows what that means. And then he says, um, and then Chazan uh, goes back to, takes the Torah. He says, what does that mean? Are we going to be putting the Torah back in the ark? And then the rabbi gets up to speak. Everyone's quiet. And he says, oh, what does that mean? Oh, the rabbi gives a sermon now before the additional prayer. The rabbi gets up to speak. And he stands up. And he takes off his watch and puts his watch down like that. Looks at his watch. And uh, the man from China says, uh, what does that mean? And the man said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like the, the Zotatara was a better joke than that one. But anyway, but, uh, anyway, so I've taken it off. I've been given it time before Rebaz, it means nothing. Okay, no, I'm, really, I'm joking. I'll stick to the time, obviously. Um, <clears throat> the first thing I really appreciate the opportunity to, to speak about leadership because I do feel that it's really important in life to speak about things that are important to us. It's very difficult to motivate and inspire people if we're not inspired about what we're speaking about. If you're not inspired about what you're talking about, you don't have much chance of inspiring other people. If you get up and you are bored with what you're going to speak about, then don't get up because you're boring yourself, you're going to bore other people. And therefore, I try as a general rule as a speaker and educator to try to speak about things that are important to me. And if they're not important to me, then how I don't have much of a chance of making, have a mean of making it important to others. And secondly, the Balai Musara speak about that when you speak, the person before your eyes should be you. I remember hearing that from one of the Balai Musara, and that's a very big limit for me. I'm always trying to, when I speak, trying to talk to myself. It's your problem that you have to listen. I'm sorry about that. It was your choice. But uh, I'm really trying to motivate myself. Because once you accept the first sort that you must speak about things that you're passionate about, then try and motivate yourself. The Bale Musar say that, is, is, that when you speak, you, when you teach, the teacher should see themselves as the student. And the students should see themselves as potential teachers. The student needs to learn in a way that how would I give this over? Because if I'm thinking how to give it over, then I really have to know what I'm talking about. It's so much harder. Anyone who's given a shir, it's so much easier to learn dafyomi or to be present at dafyomi shir than to give the shir. Like in anything in life, because when you give it over, you have to basically know what you're talking about. And it's not so easy. And therefore, when I'm speaking about leadership, it really is very important to me. And it's something I think about a lot and deal with a lot and read about a lot and study a lot and reflect on a lot and try and to reflect it in my, in, in my life. And, um, and hence, I'm really just talking about things that I believe very strongly in and trying to motivate myself and hopefully in the process motivate, uh, motivate you. I'm going to speak about, I'm going to, uh, let me call it six principles of leadership. Six yesodot of leadership that I want to try and give over to you of what I feel are the most important principles of leadership and Jewish leadership. Because I want to, I want to, I want to noga in two yesodot, which I believe are unique to Jewish leadership. 
Because you can argue that leadership is leadership. There are certain qualities that to be a good leader, whether it's a religious leader, a rabbinic leader, a Jewish leader, or a general leader, you need these qualities. And they are. And I'm going to share some of those qualities which I believe are 100% the same for everyone. But there are a number of the qualities that I'm going to share that I believe are unique to Jewish leadership and to Torah leadership and to give the sources and the Makorot for them. I normally, when I speak, I normally have Dapay Makorot. I normally do. I'm sorry. I, I always try and give over with sources. Uh, most of the time, but I'm sorry that I didn't uh, manage to prepare one for this, uh, but we'll hopefully make up for it with, the, um, with what we're going to say. I believe the number one quality that a person needs in any area of leadership, that if you don't have this quality, you know, in spite of this, it's hard to be a really effective leader. And that is Mesir Nefesh. If you are not a person who is passionate about what you are leading, then you're always going to be, you're not going, you're going to be average, you're going to be mediocre. If you aren't passionate, if it doesn't, if it's not the thing that, if you've learned Sefer Kuzari, Sefer Kuzari starts the book with this chalom, that the chaver has got a chalom the whole time. If there's not something that, you, you always, it's motivating you the whole time, you can't sleep because of it, or you can sleep because of it, you can't. If it doesn't occupy you 24-7, in essence, if you're not passionate about it and want to be more serious and for it, then it's hard to lead. It's hard to lead. It's got to be something which is kol kulcha. Um, passion, I'd There have been lots of mech studies on this as well, that the people who succeed in all fields, it's the people who are not looking for the money and for the kavod, it's the people who believe that what they're doing is what they should be doing with their life. I could term it as a sense of shlichut, one of the articles which had a big impact in my life was one written by Rav Soloveitchik in a book called Yemei Zikaron, uh, where he writes about the Yamim Noraim, and the article is called Shlichut. A person has to see their life as a life of Shlichut. And Kalvachome, their leadership career, if what you're doing you don't feel is a Shlichut, if you weren't sent by Akrash Baruch in your own mind, Akrash Baruch doesn't send us, he doesn't speak to us, unfortunately, yet. We, not, not all of us are Moshe Rabbeinu, Akrash Baruch comes to him and says, this is your Shlichut. I'm going to send you, and he says, but I don't want it. And he argues, he said, no, this is your shlichot. Moshe Rabbein understood what the shlichot meant to bring the Jewish people out. And therefore, he, he, uh, he, he rejected it five times eventually. wasn't able to reject it, but he knew what it meant. He knew what it meant. Our lives, we shlichim. We shlichim of the Ribbon Olam to be the best that we can be in this world. And in our leadership careers, is to impact the most that we can. There's a, there's a, le- there's a top um, leadership writer. He's written about 60 books on leadership. His name's John C. Maxwell. He's written tremendously on leadership. One of the most prolific writers in this uh, generation is American. And he says, le- leadership is influence and impact. Being a leader means that you're impacting the life of others. If you're not impacting anyone else's life, then who are you leading? You're leading yourself, which is a big, a big thing. I'm going to talk about self-leadership. That's a Jewish idea I'll come to in a second. Not in a second, in a bit. But if you want to lead other people and you're having zero impact and zero influence on anyone, then, then who are you leading? But if you want to impact people and you want to make a difference in people's life, you have to see that position as one of a shlichut. And when you've got shlichut, I say to people, what you're doing, it's not a, there's four levels of what you do with your life. It can, what you can do with your life can be a job, whatever the word job means in English. It can be an occupation, how you occupy your time. It can be a career, but it can be a calling. It's a shlichut. And if something is a shlichut, you have to be, you have to be passionate about it. You have to believe in it 
And if you don't come into the area of leadership with a sense of Mesir Nefesh, Adain Kates, then you're not going to make the biggest impact that you can. And it's in all areas. It's in all areas. If you look, for instance, Avram Avinu, we've been reading about in the recent parashiot. It's always found it very interesting that Avram Avinu's career as an idol basher is not mentioned in the Pshat anywhere. There's no even hint to it. If you didn't know the Midrashay Chazal, that Avram's career was destroying his father's business of going to tell, literally, destroying his father's business of breaking all his father's idols, going out and starting up with the leader of the generation, Nimrod, that Nimrod wanted to kill him in Urkasi. None of this is in the Pshat. The Pshat, we meet Avram Avinu. It's the Hefech, says the Nitziv in his introduction to Hamak Tavar. When you meet, Avram is the most congenial person that you meet. Look what he did with in Parashat Chaye Sarah. For look how many times he bowed just to get permission to bury his wife in the land that Hashem promised him. With what such kavod, please. This is the land that Hashem gave you. Aren't you the idol basher? This is how you treat of David Azarah. Yeah, he says them. Said he, look at how the Avot behaved when he meets of David Azarah, the Malachim in Parashat Be'er, that he doesn't know their Malachim. He washes the idol worship off their feet, the, the afar. And he's the exact opposite of what we meet in the Midrashim. It always bothered me. Sometimes the Midrashim, which mityashvim in Pshutosh Mikra, the Midrash fills in the gaps. And sometimes the Midrash, you think, like, where did that come from? Where do you see anywhere in Avram's career as he's portrayed in the Pshat? A person who starts up with people, bashes idols, where do you see it? I think what Chazal were trying to say is that that was Abraham's midah as the founder of the Jewish people. If you don't believe that you want to change the world, I don't know if he did or didn't bash down the idols. It's in the Midrashim. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. As Rabbi Beryl Wine often says, and many Rabbonim say, the purpose of the Midrashim isn't to tell you necessarily what actually happened. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. That's not the Yisod. It's a debate within Chazal where Rambam and others would... Did, did every Midrash happen or not? That's a separate debate. But the point of Midrashim... Obviously, everything in the Pshat happened. That's why it's in the Pshat. If it's in the Pshat, it happened. Midrashim, maybe that it was Og six meters tall, was he? Did... Uh, I'm not... I'm sorry. Or not Moshe Rabbeinu six meters. Was Og this massive giant of the sizes, Chazal say, and Moshe Rabbeinu came up and hit him with an axe on his ankle and he fell back? Maybe yes, maybe no. That's not the point of Midrashim. The point of Midrashim is to teach us a derech ruchanit. The derech ruchanit of Avram Avinu was one of the founder of the Jewish people who wanted to change the world, wanted to bash down every idol, wanted to monotheism, a belief in a purposeful personal God to be it. He was, as they say in Hebrew, Mur'al. There's a word in Hebrew. He's Ra'al Beinaim. He just wanted to change the world. Don't know if he actually did do that because the Pshat never suggests that. But that was his Midah. Avram Avinu wanted to turn the world upside down. He was a, he was a, a what they call iconoclast, iconoclast, right, who wanted to just turn the world upside down. Wanted everybody to believe in ethical monotheism. Everywhere he went was Likro B'Shem Hashem, Likro B'Shem Hashem, Likro B'Shem Hashem. If a person wants to lead, and Kalvachomer be the founder of the Jewish people, are going to play such a role in, in the world, they have to be 100% heart, body and soul, believe in what they're doing. Moshe Rabbeinu was the same. 
when Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Leich, right, Kishi Chaitamcha, and eventually Moshe Rabbeinu says after Chaitamcha, Mechaini Nami Sifracha, God, if you want to destroy the Jewish people, that you forced me to go and be the Shaliach in order to bring that up in Israel. No. In fact, if you want me to do it, Mechaini Nami Sifracha, Chazal said, blot me out from your book, out of Olam Abba. I, my, my Goral, my fate and destiny as the leader of this people means that I will give up my Olam Haba for this people. That's Masirut Nefesh. If you don't have Masirut Nefesh, if you don't believe heart, body and soul in the mission, it's going to hard to inspire others. It's going to hard to really change the world in a meaningful way. You know, we all know in Halakha there's something called, you know, there's Fleshik and Mochik, there's Basari and Chalavi. There's something called Parva. We never know what to do with Parva because Parva is Parva. You know, it's Nishtahe, right? It's neither here nor there. My son's an officer in the army. He says in the Israeli army, there's a thing called Chalavi. Not only do you not want to be Parva, you don't want to be Chalavi. By the way, lots of Sephardim don't even have a milk sink. Mazeh Chalav. You don't milk the cow, you kill the cow, you eat the cow, you... Mazeh uh, Chalavi. Uh, he says in the army, they say, I'll take Chalavi. Don't be Chalavi. Mazeh Chalavi. Chalavi, meh. He says, be Psarim. Heart, body and soul. With your heart, body and soul. Blood, sweat and tears. Mazeh Chalavi. You've got to be, as they say, Warren Buffett, one of the great investors of all time, says in order to succeed investing, you have to, using an American sport term, you have to have skin in the game, right? You have to have skin in the game. If you're not, if you're not prepared to get scratched and to get beaten and battered, then you're not going to be Tom Brady. I know you don't know who Tom Brady is, right? <laughs> but um, I must say, I never followed American football. It didn't interest me. At all. We've got a much better sport called rugby. That's from the Commonwealth. <laughs> where the people don't have 55 helmets and things. They don't look like Hulk every time. They go, you get a bash, you get a bash. I'm just being facetious to give a talk to the Americans. But I started following Tom Brady recently because I like to study Gadlet. So he has a Gadol in his area. What, what makes this person head and shoulders above everyone? When he was the 199th draft pick. Nobody saw it. No one saw it in him. No one saw it. He was average of average. He almost became a salesman because only at the end of the sixth draft was he picked. Nobody saw it in him. He's big. He's burly. He doesn't have a big... All the things you may know about Tom Brady. How is it? What does the person have? What does it mean to be a gadol in your area? There's something to study over there. And I'm going to share one thing. Um, anyway, that about Jewish leadership, which you often learn. Michal... Sometimes you see what not to do as well, which I might come to. If you want godless, you've got to have skin in the game. Heart, body and soul. It also made me realize that also in our relationship with Hashem, but certainly in leadership, we say, with both of your hearts, to give up your life, what's Mordecha? Chazal struggled with this. What more can you give when you've given wholeheartedly? You're prepared to give up your life. says the Gemara Rashi brings it. And now after you're prepared to go heart, body and soul and give up your life, now you have to give? Mordecha. Firstly, what does it mean in Hebrew? What does it mean in Hebrew? Behold Mordecha. How would you translate that into English? With all your... You need to say mat, but mod's not mat. Mod's not mat. We don't know how to translate this word. So how would you say? You must give with your whole heart. Give with your, give up your life. And once, and then as the Americans say, and then some. 
Right? But, 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 what, but what sum is left? There's nothing left. But maybe that's what Chazal is saying. Not Chazal, the Pshat. Do you know what Hashem wants? He wants everything and then some. But there's not, and then just whatever you've got. The whole Mordechai. Whatever Mordechai you've got left, everything. To succeed in Abodat Hashem, in Akeshavad Hashem, it's, it's hot, it's everything. And so to in leadership, you want to give, you want to fulfill your shlichut. If you see your leadership position as some of your shlichut, you've got to give everything. There's a leading sports. Um, I grew up not religious. And I played a lot of sports until I became Shomrei Shabbat and then had actually a big injury, or Hashem, knee injury, anti-bacterial cruciate ligament, a career-ending injury when I was in my teens, but I was already there in Shomrei Shabbat. Um, so I, I played a lot of sport and follow a lot of sport and, and learn a lot from sport. And I remember my father's, my father was the head of a company and he also used to read in leadership and he had a book by somebody called Mark McCormack, who was the leading sports um, uh, sports entrepreneur to m- manage sportsmen. He said he already saw in the 60s that television was going to become a big business. Sportsmen and women needed to be businessmen, but they weren't. He said he came and he was a top lawyer and he said, I'll do a deal with you. He corporatized sport. He said, you just play your sport and I'll manage your affairs. I'll deal with your contracts. I'll manage the television. I'll deal with the corporate sponsors. You'll pay me a percentage. You just play your sport and I'll manage. His, the first client he had was a South African golfer by the name of Gary Player. And he became the biggest name in the sports industry, Mark McCormack Industries. And I remember this book on my father's shelf called The 110% Solution. Took it out and read it as a teenager. And Mark McCormack said, I have yet to meet one person top of their game who doesn't give not 100%, 110%. You give everything and then some. That's just what it is. So in leadership, if you want to succeed, one has to believe, one has to have mysterious nefesh, one has to see it as a shlichut, one has to give heart, body, and soul, ugly die, um, mysterious nefesh. So that's number one. Passion, mysterious nefesh for our cause. Number two, which I was actually going to leave to the end, but I'm going to say it now. There's a very big danger in what I just said. What's the danger in what I said? I'm going to open it up to you. What's the danger in what I just said? Nothing to care of oneself. Correct. It's to the exclusion of everything. All of our great leaders struggled. Family issues, even Avram and Sarah, on their level, of course, Chazal say Medaktikim in Tadikim Chutasara. Sarah says something to Avraham that you can't even say if the Psukim didn't say it. She says to him, Chamasia I'm going to send the Hamas out onto you. Not the Hamas, Hamas, but she says horrific things to him. If the Shur was on this, I would go into what those words mean. The Rashi says something there which opens the entire world of the dynamic between Avram and Sarah. I'll just share it with you briefly, but it's a whole world in of itself, and I can prove this in the Psukim and Midrashim, but I'll just show you. What is she saying to him? She's basically saying, you're sacrificing me and your mission. She says, Rashi says, she's not just complaining about Hagar. She's not just saying, I gave you Hagar, and Hagar had a child, and Hagar is now despising me, and you're not standing up for me. I gave you Hagar because you couldn't have a child, and what would I get in return? She has a child so easily. She falls pregnant. She's mazalzel in me. And you don't defend me. You're not standing up for 
me as opposed to her. With that showing, that's the chat. But Rashi says something unbelievable, which is not hinted to anywhere. But again, as Rashi so often does bring in Midrash, which tells you what's really going on. He says, When Hashem came to you and said, you're going to have a son, did you think it's a son from any woman? When he said to you, you think it's only you? Am I to say what the Maharal says? Am I part of your mission tangentially that if I can have a child, show him and if not, when I offered you Hagar, I wanted you with every fiber in my being to say, my dear wife, no way! If God wants us to have a child, it's with you, not with any other wife. I was a good wife. I offered you because I knew that I didn't want to stand in your way and I was hoping that you would come and say to me, my dear, no. The mission is our mission. And I realized at that moment, you said, thank you very much. And you listened to what I was saying, not what I was really saying, is that the mission was about you. And maybe I can't blame you because Hashem said, lech lecha, not lech lechem. But you know what? I've realized I'm not part of your mission. I'm tangential. Why didn't you daven that I would have a child? Why did you say to Ribbon Shalom, I'm not going to do this unless the child is from Sarah? Chamasiyah lecha. But I've only sacrificed for you. And in the end, when Abraham, even later on, when Hashem tells him they're going to have a child from Sarah, Abraham is worried. He says, Hashem, don't complicate matters. I've already got Yishmael. I've already got Yishmael. What, I'm going to have another child? Complications. And Hashem says, Kol asher tomar, Sarah, shma bekola. Listen to what she's saying. She is right. She's part of the mission. Boy, oh boy, when you're a man on a mission, nothing's in your way. Nothing is in your way. Especially when it's inspired by Hashem. Rosh Bakir, as they say. Lech lecha, Abraham Avinu. That you've got a wife. You've got children. Moshe Rabbeinu and his children. David Amelech and his children. When you're a person on a mission, you sometimes don't have time for yourself. You sometimes don't have time for your spouse. You sometimes don't have time for your children. You don't have time for anything. You don't sacrifice yourself. So your sword number two is Jewish leadership. As much as you have to have Mesirut Nefesh for the cause, and you have to believe 24-7 that's what you need to do, you can't sacrifice yourself. What about your own growth? What about your own Avodat Hashem? What about your own learning? What about your own relationships? What about your own family? There's a balance there. There's an inbuilt stira. Halavai, we live in a world which was laboratory, sanitized, and you could say leadership fits in here and this fits in there. Life, and the older I get, I see, is an ongoing balance, an ongoing dance of contradictions. If you don't want to, if you don't want the tension of what I just described, then don't go into leadership. Don't go into leadership. You cannot lead successfully without Monsieur Nefesh. But at the same time, you can't sacrifice yourself for your family. So what do you do? As they say in Hebrew, you have to have gambagam. Your sword number one is Mesut Nefesh, to be on the playing field of successful leadership. Your sword number two is, don't lose yourself in the process. Don't lose yourself. Don't. One of the favorite shirim I often give, if I'm often called on to give one shir, if Rav David said to me, Rav Doron, you can give one shir, it wouldn't have been in leadership, but I'll... But I'll, but I'll one, no, 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 no. But I'm, really, but I'm slipping it in now. I mean, if you gave me any topic to talk on, I would talk... I would, but I'm slipping in all the things. I love... 
I love, there's a book, uh, you all heard of the late Rav, uh, uh, Rabbi Dr. Abram Tversky, the great doctor, uh, psychiatrist Rabbi. When he wrote his 38th book, he wrote many more. I read in his introduction and he said, I haven't written 38 books. I've written one book. I've just said it in 38 different ways. So I find it myself, whenever I speak, I'll always get in the things that I really feel most. So leadership's right up there. But the thing that I, that I if I was given one shear to give, one shear, I would say life is about two tikkunim. It's about tikkun atzmi and tikkun olam. Hashem sends us in this world for two tikkunim. He sends on a shomim to this world to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. Tikkun atzmi. That's what the Baalei Musar focus on a lot. And tikkun olam. Tikkun atal. What Rav Kook speaks about the whole time. How is Klad Yisrael different because of you? We don't end any tefillot unless we say in Alein of the Takein Olam B'machut Shakai. We don't end any tefillah unless we take ourselves out of our parochial Avarat Hashem and say, we want the world to be a reflection of Hashem's world. How can we make a difference to the world, to people beyond us, to our family, to our broader family, to our community, to our people, and ultimately to the world? Tikkun Aprat, Tikkun Personal mission, public mission. And there's a stira there. Because we don't live, we're not Robinson Crusoe on a desert island. It would be much easier if Hashem said that the, that, the, that the mountain to climb is the Himalayas and not Mount Sinai and Mount Moriah. Because when Hashem has sent us briefly to Har Sinai and it's got no more Kedusha and then sent us with the values of Har Sinai, the tale of two mountains to Har Moriah, and He happens to put the holiest place on earth in the middle of a city, bustling with life, in the middle of the East and the West, and the Muslim world, and the Christian world, and the Jewish world. And it's all full of Sirot Yushalayim, in the middle of a city, with all this diversity around it. Hashem, Jewish life is at the heart of society. The holiest place is not in remote mountains, it's in the middle of the capital city. Jerusalem is the capital city, and the Lishkata Gazit, where the Sanhedrin sat, is in the Beit HaMikdash, and the Beit HaMikdash is the heart of the capital city, and David Miller's house is right there. And there's this, all this... Um, hustle bustle of life which is at the heart of Jewish life and therefore life is about tikkun atzmi tikkun olam tikkun aprat tikkun aklal being the best we can be and making the world the best possible flat place to use Rabbi Sachs's words which is based on the Zohar is to heal a fractured world we want to heal complete the fractured world and complete our own incompleteness in, in etc so that is what for me life is about is tikkun atzmi and tikkun olam the problem is there's a stira and the, the older I get, I see that there's steroid in everything. The question in life is balance. How can you balance the steroid? And that's what life and maturity is balance. So, principle number one, to what I spoke about. If you want to lead, go out into the world. And I haven't spoken about leadership. I can speak about leadership another time. Like, what are the qualities, individual qualities a person needs to look at to be a leader? Individual qualities within themselves. I can talk about some of them. But we've said number one, passion. Principle number one of leadership, passion, Monsieur Nefesh. And Kates. Number two, don't sacrifice yourself. Make sure that you get the balance right, that you have to, but there's a steer if you're 24-7, you know, your mind's 24-7, but you also at the same time have to be able to do tikkun atzmi and not sacrifice the things along the way. And it's difficult, but life is a challenge and that's what makes life interesting and exciting. That's the challenge of life. I read somewhere, there's a lady that some of you may have heard of, called Oprah Winfrey. 
Now, I read that Oprah Winfrey, there was a time when I was in a ship that Oprah was like the Gdolatador. She was like the Gdolatador. Everybody was reading Oprah. Not when I was in a ship, when I was back in South Africa. So everybody, everyone was reading Oprah, Oprah, Oprah. The Oprah show, the Oprah. even Robertson's were telling me, well, Oprah's amazing and she's changing the world. So I used to read about Oprah. And I saw that Oprah said something very interesting. She said she's decided not to get married and have children. She believes being a mother is the most important role. But she doesn't believe she can fulfill her mission in life of changing the lives of millions and being there for her child. So I said, that's non-Jewish leadership. Where you makrev something, a personal value. No, 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 not as non-Jewish. That's not Jewish leadership. Let me say it differently. That's not Jewish leadership. The only person I'm aware of was Ben Zomo Ben Azai who didn't get married. Ben Azai was married to the Torah, as I'll say. Benazai, I think. Either Benazai or Benzoma. It was Benazai? Benazai said he's married to the Torah. He didn't get married. But that everyone saw that as an outlier. It was never the Derech Torah. The Derech Torah always from the Nevi'im and all the way to our great rabbis was, yes, it comes with complications and it comes with certain gashmiut and it comes with certain commitments and it does take one away from... How can you be married to the Torah and married to somebody else in it? Well, you have to have it gun for gun. The way of the Torah is not to say, I've got a mission and I makrev things along the way. Uh, I, I heard maybe that that was what Lot's misunderstanding of Abraham was. How could Lot even think for a second to sacrifice his daughters in storm? Like, where does that come from? He took the one side of Abraham's mission is to be this ish of hospitality and if you have to sacrifice even your daughters for the big mission, that's what you do. It was a warped way of seeing the big mission such that, that you mavatel everything. Whereas Abraham, it's gum, the gum. So what are the two big things we said? Number one, Mesir Nefesh Adain Kates. Number two, what did we say? We said not to find the balance, not to sacrifice yourself in the process. It's challenging. There's a tense. That's the balance of leadership. What I say Knowing how to lead yourself and knowing how to lead others. Because the most important person to lead is ourselves. The most challenging person to lead is ourselves. And the only person we've got absolute control over what we decide to do is ourselves. The only person. The only person we can truly, truly have a chance of leading. And it's very difficult. Even just ourselves is incredibly difficult with all the challenges we have. But at least it's within our jurisdiction to say, I will... Make the best decisions that I can. Famously, I just got back from with a group in, in Poland. We go once a year with Mizrahi. Uh, does the Shiva go all to Poland? Huh? No? It's very interesting. It's, it's a very, very interesting, the whole experience there. But there's a famous book from somebody, one of the famous survivors of the Shah. I'm sure you've heard of him, Mr. Viktor Frankl, in his book, um, Man's Search for Meaning. And he says an amazing thing in this book. He says... Um, nobody can tell me you don't have free choice. He said, I saw people steal other people's piece of bread, and I saw people give away their last piece of bread. Nobody can tell me that even when they strip you of every bit of circumstance around you and your dignity that you don't still have free choice. And to quote something that he said, he said, at the end of his book, he says, I saw in people the saint and the swan. Excuse the expression, this is what he says. I saw the most animalistic in people and the most angelic. There's always a choice. I call Bidei Shemayim, Chutz Shemayim. At the end of the day, 
the one choice we have is how we react to things, and we always have that choice. So how we respond in our personal lives to things, self-leadership is the most important leadership mission we've got. But Hashem didn't send us to ashrams to say, serve God in the, in the desert or in the mountains and forget about everybody else. He sent us, as individuals and the Jewish people, to the middle of civilization and said, you've got a mission. So as individuals, it's leadership, one, Mesir Nefesh Aron Kates. Number two, not to sacrifice ourselves in the process and try to get the balance right. Four more to go. The next one. Kindness. Avraham's Torah was Torah. Chesed. You can never ever, if you have a big macro picture, forget about the macro. It's also your sort of Jewish leadership. You don't sacrifice people along the way. You don't ignore the little people. You don't stamp on people because there's no such thing as a little person. I once saw a beautiful line by a poet. He said it in Hebrew about Avram Avinu. The great Avram Avinu, the idol basher, the person who wanted to change the world, the, iconocl- the iconoclast, right? The person who wanted to change the world. And the person, the revolutionary and the founder of the Jewish people. Was everything Hashem said, Lech Lecha, he went wherever Hashem wanted him to go with Monsieur Nefesh Adain Kates, was the person who had unbelievable derech eretz. It's what the Nitziv says in his introduction to how I make the famous Rosh Hashiva Velozhen. The Rav Naftali Tzvi of Berlin in his monumental work on the Torah HaAmek Tavar, his introduction, very famous introduction to Rashid, he defines the Avot as Yesharim. Avot or Yashar. Because the book Sefer Yashar is what Chazal said. What does it mean to be a Yashar? To be a Yashar says the Nitziv, it means he uses two words, to have Derech Eretz, and to be what he calls Mekaimei Habriah. They were people who believed in society, who built society, who treated. He says, even uh, to use his word, of day That's the words of the Nitziv. Even with the ugly of look at the respect that Abraham. Look how he treated Ephraim Chiti. Look how he treated the Malachim who he didn't know were Malachim. He thought that they were uh, of David. Look how he davened for storm. That's the Nitziv says. How does Abraham Avinu daven for the Sodomites? Hatispet Sadikim Rasha. You're going to allow. Righteous people to be killed along with the ego. Look at the look at the sensitivity to every person. I saw beautifully in a poem. I heard this from Rav Drukman. Uh, I studied at Oretzion for a while. She called Oretzion now Rosh Hashiva. Rav Drukman. She had just celebrated his 90th birthday. The whole big thing had been in Aoma the other night, and a lot of these ideas I actually heard from him um, in different shiurim when I was at the shiva, but he said something that in the name of an Israeli poet, and I've never forgotten it, it was on Pashat Vayera, and he gave a shiur, and he said, I'll just say it in Hebrew, he said, Avraham chipes et ha'elokim umatsa adam. Avraham searched for God, and he found his fellow man. He found the godliness in his fellow human being. That was Avraham Avinu. Look at the respect wherever he went with Avraham Avinu. You can never, in the, in the macro picture, the big picture, forget about the little picture. The little, pi- the little picture is the person. Because Chazal said, call person is, every person is a, is a world. And every person is created in Selim Elohim. And therefore the Torah has to be the Torah of Chesed. It has to be leadership which is kind, which is sees everybody. doesn't sacrifice the person for the purpose. If you go to 
Warsaw, in the Warsaw uh, Cemetery, it's the biggest cemetery in Europe. There's 500,000 graves, but there's an amazing Tzion Kever of two Rosh Yeshiva, who neither of them lived in Warsaw, and it's a whole story how they got buried in Warsaw, but they're buried next to each other. That's a whole story around which I won't tell now. It's the Natsiv and Rav Chaim Soloveitchik. So the two Rosh Yeshiva in 1892, when Yeshivat Velozhin, the mother of the Lithuanian Yeshiva, closed down, the two Rosh Yeshiva were the older Natsiv and the younger Rav Chaim Soloveitchik, and they're buried next to each other in Warsaw. They were both in Warsaw at different times for different reasons. They were married there. It's fascinating. They, buried, they, they, were, they were buried there. On Rav Chaim of Brisk's grave, Rav of Brisk, Rav Chaim of Brisk, grandfather of Soloveitchik, the grandson of Rav Yoshebeth Soloveitchik, the Brisker Rav. On his grave, he asked, there's a whole long thing written on his grave, but he in his savah asked only for one thing to be written on his grave, and it's the first thing that you see on his grave. He asked on his grave, he wants two words, Rav HaChesed, the Rav of Chesed. This is the person who was known to be the, the great Gaon of the generation, who can learn without a Reb Chaim, and the Chilukim, and the Pilpulim, and understanding the sort of every sugi and all the Chilukim, the great rational genius, wanted to believe that Rabbonus is famous. What was Rabbonus about? What does it mean to be a rabbinic leader? Some said it's about Psikat Halacha, other said it's about teaching Torah. Said Rav Chaim Mibrisk, he said the essence of being a rabbi is to look after the Yetumim Ba'almanot, to look after the defenseless in society, to be the one who is truly a Rav of Chesed. And on his grave he said, I want people when they come to my grave just to see something, that I tried in my life to be a Rav of Chesed. To be a leader is to be a person of deep care and concern. Abraham Avinu is great. Yesod is Chesed Abraham. The great leader with a big vision, founding the Jewish people, running around, or the big leader, it's about the small people. I once saw a beautiful, beautiful quote where somebody said, and I'm sure you, many of you have heard of this, they said, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. If there's one thing I learned in being a rabbi of a community, it's that. People want their rabbi to care about them. They want to see them as a whole person. And if you don't know the answer to the question, I never found that a problem. Much bigger rabbis than me today. Hotline, lots of poskim you can find out. And to teach Torah, I always brought a Rosh Kolel, who was more learned than me to teach. I gave Shurim as well, but I was not a Rosh Hashiva. Brought people to teach. But as the and I also taught, but I'm saying I want to brought a Rosh Kolel. I found that people wanted somebody who cared more than anything, who genuinely cares about them. And um, leadership is about genuine care. Genuine care. So that's the third you saw. And I also saw another thing, a very nice quote somewhere, which said somebody wrote, they said, when I was young, when I was young, I used to be impressed by clever people. Now that I'm old, I'm impressed by kind people. Kindness, Torah Chesed Alashona. We have to be people who aspire to be good people, kind people, not expedient people, because people who've got big visions and they're big leaders, they trample on people. Oh, you said all the times of the politicians and all the times of the big leaders. What can you do for me right now? Use you, spit you out, because everybody is part of the stepping stone to something much bigger. Jewish leadership is always looking. Um, being sensitive to the individual. So number three, we said chesed. Genuine care and kindness is incredible. Four, 
I've seen in all great leaders, this is Jewish and non-Jewish, in leadership, is they've got an amazing shiluv, an amazing um, synthesis between vision and implementation. If you don't have vision, if you don't have a big picture, I'm very close to Rabbi Beryl Wan. My son the other day said to me, he said, Dad, I noticed that you quote Rabbi Wan more than anyone else. Yeah. He said, you quote him more than Rav Kook. <laughs> right, so, and Rav Kook, I think, had the biggest impact in my life. Because I think in, in Rav Kook, I didn't know Rav Kook, but his writings and thinking about a very big impact in my life. But um, Rabbi Wan, we brought many times to South Africa, and I was schmoozed to him. And it was just a few hours in the car and on planes and wherever we were going and just liaising with him in rabbinic, so much life wisdom. And um, he, in one of the talks that he gave, I asked him often the same question many times, and every time he gave me a different answer. It's interesting. Depending what he... He just gave me a different answer. I said, what's the most important thing that a rabbi needs to know? I've got lots of different answers at different times. Maybe depending on what I was going through, what he was going through. But at one point he said, you've got to have vision. What's your vision for the... He just gave other answers as well. But a vision for the community. What's your vision? Who can head an institution, head any enterprise in life without a vision of what it should be? I believe Yaakov Avinu's leadership career starts in this week's Parsha of Eitzay, starts having dreams. If you're not thinking, dreaming, they don't have a vision. All the leaders had visions. All the great leaders were prophets, almost all of them. Chazon, the Nevim is Chazon. Don't have a vision. Don't have a vision. You know, they say, there's an amazing book, and I was in Yeshiva. This book came out in my first year in Yeshiva in 1989. My first year, that's a book which you may have heard of. For me, it's a book that's had a big impact in my life as well. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I think it's one of the greatest leadership books ever written. And I read it when I was... A friend of mine said, you should read this book. And I've read it many times over. What does it mean to be an effective leader, effective person? And in this book, Professor Stephen Covey makes an amazing distinction between a leader and a manager. What's it between a leader and a manager? Listen to this, it's unbelievable. He says a leader, I'll give an example, he says. You know what lumberjacks are, yeah? Lumberjack people, cut down trees. So he said, here's the difference between a leader and a manager. He says, the manager is managing a thousand lumberjacks and cutting down trees. He's making sure that he's got operational officers. He's making sure that the trees are falling the right way and they're not falling onto other things, that everything's worked out, how you cut and how sharp the access to be and how heavy the access to be and where you cut in the tree and which direction they fall and where the trucks are waiting and how quickly the trucks can leave that they've got, they can get out of the forest in a way to get it to the production line. Thousands and thousands of detail. That's the manager. That's the mankal who's managing every, every detail of the operation. What's the leader doing? He says the leader is standing on a nearby hill and saying, I'm not sure we're cutting in the right forest. Maybe we should be cutting there. It's the big picture. Hang on. Is, are we focused in the right area? Before we manage well what we're doing, is what we're doing what we should be doing? Where are we going? Leadership's about vision. But leadership without implementation is just a good idea. I once saw a beautiful quote. Somebody said, it's not ideas which change the world. It's ideas with action plans. Now, not everybody can have everything. 
which maybe leads me straight on. I'll go straight into the next one because I've got to finish in four minutes, which I will be nitter at ten past ten, be nitter, but I'll aim to finish at ten past ten, is just to say that big vision and implementation. You've got to have a vision, but you've also got to have the ability to know how to implement it, even if you don't implement it. No one person can do everything. You need other people, which I'll speak about in a second. But leadership happens when there's a vision and ability to make it happen. And when those qualities are there, the great Rosh Yeshiva, which built Yeshiva, were the ones who built Yeshiva and knew how to make the Yeshiva happen. We were in, um, in um, Lublin of Ramesh Shapiro, initiated the Dafyomi, as we know, publicized it, and the amazing Yeshiva that he built, and the Yeshiva in Belozhin, they were built by visionaries, but who also knew how to make sure that the Yeshiva kept going, and you can give lots of ideas about that. So principle number four is vision and leadership. Sorry, and implementation. It's not ideas which change the world. They begin to change the world. It's ideas with an implementation plan. You have to have both. Next idea, two more to go, and then I'll end is that um, no one person can do it alone. This is not a Jewish idea. It's in all leadership books. No one person can change it on their own. You have teams. You have associates. You have boards. You have supporters. You can't do it alone. No one person has got all the qualities. No one person, even if they wanted to, can do it. One person might be an amazing visionary. Okay, then you need implementers. A person might be an unbelievable driver, but not a great visionary. So bring strategic strategy team to help you with a strategy. And even if you've got both of those, you still need tens, hundreds, thousands of people to do it. You can't do it on your own. You have to inspire teamwork. You have to have other people around you. And therefore, you don't have to do everything yourself. You have to have the ability to see what needs to be done and have other people do it. I've heard from a number of but from one rabbinic leader who told me that in the institution that he's built, he always tried to find people in every area which were more talented than him. He said his talent was seeing the big picture, orchestrating it, holding it all together, doing quite a bit of fundraising. Everything else was done by more learned people, more professional people, more professional people. You just have to, sometimes the role of the leaders to be what they call the conductor. You know, the conducting orchestra doesn't have to know how to play any of the instruments better than any one of the 120 people in the, in the orchestra. The sole thing that, that, the, that, that the conductor needs to do is to know with a baton just how to make it all work together. That's the genius. Just have the ability to convert noise into music. It's just an ability to wave the wand and guide the people to make it make organic sense and therefore sometimes the leader is just the person who needs to know how to do that and other people together you create a team and the final one that's number five the final one that I wanted to share with you uh, is I can't remember but we've done quite well let me just think we've said let me just go through it in my head we said number one the spirit nefesh and passion I'd aim so for what we want to do you have to have a certain nefesh to be a leader number two we said that you have to be a person who Jewish leadership is not sacrificing yourself, your personal growth, your family, the big ideals. You've got to get the balance right. You've got to aim to aspire for that balance. Number three, we said it's got to be a Torah Chesed, a leadership of Chesed, where we don't, we always sing the Hashem in the little, in, in every person, every person of Lamam Lo'or. We said that a person has to be a, uh, a person has to be a, 
visionary and implemented ability to think big, but also know how to implement. And we said number five, uh, we said that a person has to be uh, know that you don't achieve anything on your own. You need teams in order to do it. I think I'll leave it at that because I think I'm at ten past anyway. And uh, or, uh, and there's lots of other principles. Those are some that I wanted to share within the time that I have. Go on to each one of you in your personal and public lives to play the most broad role that you can play in impacting yours and the lives of other people. Thank you very much. Okay.